everyone. Welcome to episode four of Lexclusive, the podcast produced by Paper Street Web Design and Marketing Team. As always, I'm your host, Nancy, the Client Relations Manager here at Paper Street. And today I'm joined by Andrew, our Vice President and Web Director, and Mike, our Senior Web Direct, uh, Developer. And today we're going to talk about ADA compliance. This may not be the top of your mind when you're thinking about your law firm or your business's website, but ADA compliance is becoming more and more of an issue in today's society, both by legal laws, the matters that they come to court and things like that, as well as just editing websites, maintaining your websites, and making sure that you are following all of the appropriate guidelines. ADA compliance really came into the light in around 2019 when the lawsuits became possible for websites that are not accessible. And we're going to talk about how these lawsuits are possible, what does this accessibility mean, and what do you need to do to make your website compliant. All right, Mike and Andrew, I'm going to turn this over to you. What are some of the most important accessibility issues when we look at ADA compliance? Well, so ADA compliance has actually been um, enforceable since 1996. Um, I believe that's when the law first or when it was first recognized that ADA compliance had to be applied to websites. But they didn't, as Nancy mentioned, they didn't start actually enforcing it until a few years ago when some large lawsuits came against um, some of the larger corporations such as Disney um, and so forth. So that's what kickstarted it essentially being enforced is that people with disabilities, um, whether they are hard of hearing or, or mainly vision uh, based where they you know have a, a, a issues seeing, but um, it's really ADA can apply to any sort of disability. Um, ADA is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination based on the disability. So our goal with our ADA websites is to make sure that all users can use a website and that all the websites we produce are usable for people with disabilities. So Mike is one of our head ADA developers. He's been helping ensure that our sites are ADA accessible for years now. And he is definitely an expert in ADA development. I would note that everything we build is ADA uh, compliant. We typically strive for ADA AA compliance. And we really just want to make sure that especially visually impaired users can use our websites so that they can reach out to our clients. And so that also, of course, our clients are in compliance with the law and what's expected of them uh, owning a business online. Regarding the law, so uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act actually was something that came out in 1990, but it's had several revisions over the years. Um, The last, I I guess, official revision was in 2009, um, which actually expanded it to more uh, use cases uh, regarding, as you said, non-discrimination toward those with disabilities. Now, government websites are also subject to Section 508, which is a separate law, which is much more strict. But the the ADA, which we try to meet the requirements for, is just a general public sector uh, consideration, uh, just the same way that you need ramps to access a restaurant. Uh, perhaps you have you know Braille on your elevator keys. Everything is um, accessible to as many people as possible, and websites are no exception. So um, like Nancy and Andrew both hinted at, there have actually been lawsuits in recent years. Uh, very notable, I think, was the Winn-Dixie decision. This was a, we're talking 27, 2018, so, you know, not even half a decade when 
actual lawsuits started to come about. Uh, Gill versus Winn-Dixie is a decision that was ruled in favor of the customer. And also this case of Domino's Pizza versus uh, Mr. Robles. And he was complaining about the website specifically uh, not working with his screen reading software. So it's come very much to the forefront in recent years um, because of these lawsuits. And it's become more clear than ever that, you know, having an accessible website is important. So it's been uh, top of our minds here at Paper Street for several years. And, and also our clients are seeking these services as well. Mike, you mentioned the Domino's one because that's actually when these cases really came to light. You know, the laws have been floating around, things like that. But Domino's was very widely covered in the media. Um, and then shortly thereafter, there were lawsuits against Netflix and Beyonce. So it, the Domino's case really opened up everyone's eyes to these kinds of cases and you know, moved them forward. But, you know, I think really what's important to realize here is that even beyond the lawsuits and, you know, the potential for violations of laws, you know, you can have visually impaired or hearing impaired or even people with physical disabilities who may need your services as a lawyer. And since that's Paper Street's clients, you know, you're providing a service that helps people. So even on a, a, a higher level than just adhering to the law, it's important to try to make sure that your website is helpful to the people who need your services, you know, and is readable, is is auditable, is compliant with software and things like that. So it's just really for the greater good to have this ADA compliance with your website. So now that we understand why this is an issue and what's how it's come to the light more often in the past few years, I think we need to understand or tell the, our listeners, what are some of the biggest omissions and errors that we see in terms of websites being compliant? Because I think when people wait their websites, they want to do things the right way and have their website be helpful. But what are some of the things that just fall through the cracks and just do we see a lot when we're conducting these ADA compliance uh, audits? Well, Nancy, I think at a high level, when we think about web accessibility, we need to think about the ability to use websites or consume the content in more ways. Often when we think about viewing a website, we think about having our hands on a mouse and a keyboard with you know perfectly good uh, eyesight and the ability to see the address bar, navigate to a website, and then scroll it with our mouse and so on. But the truth is, uh, disabilities come in many forms. Some people can't use a mouse. Others have difficulty with their vision um, and some can't hear. And so there are software, uh, all, all types of software uh, called screen readers, oftentimes that help people with various disabilities um, access the information on the website. And so a lot of what we do on the technical side is make it so that the website can be uh, used or consumed in multiple ways, especially by this, kinds of, by this kind of software. So we're just making the information um, you can think of it as uh, accessible in different ways. One very easy example is the alt tag on images or the alternative text. So when you see an image on a website, you know, if you have eyesight, that's normal. You can enjoy the image and appreciate it in the content. But if you can't see the image, um, a screen reader can actually access what's called the alternate text of the image that briefly describes it. So someone that can't see an image can kind of interpret what was supposed to be there. And that's what I mean by like interpreting the or reading the information in different ways. It's interesting, Mike, because yeah, it's the alt tag is something that comes up a lot, even when on the SEO side of things, the side I'm familiar with and things like that. I think a lot of businesses and law firms don't know how to format the alt tag. I think people just will say what they're trying to say, as opposed to providing descriptive information. If, for example, if you're showing a picture of a city landscape, that's one thing. But if you're a retailer, for example, and you're trying to describe what it is you're selling, you know, you need to put 
red dress with buttons or, you know, blue shoe with lace overlay and things like that. So I think the alt tags are sometimes, even if they're thought of, they're thought of too quickly and not with enough descriptiveness. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. You want them to be uh, succinct, descriptive, and, um, you know, just a, just a nice quick alternate to seeing the image itself. And, and the reason we like bringing this up is because, you know, it's easy to understand as a concept, but also it's something that our clients, when they are producing, you know, blog content on their websites, they actually do have some ability to write alt tags on images from inside of WordPress. So it's something that, you know, our clients also have some power over. Yeah, and it's definitely something that's an easy box to fill in and shouldn't take too long to do as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what are some of the other common issues? Like I said, the alt tag is something we've all seen jumped out, but what else do we see that jumps out a lot of that we have to tell uh, businesses and law firms, oh, you haven't done this part, which may not have seemed you know, so obvious to them, but we can catch it immediately. And just to jump in too, um, I, Mike will absolutely be able to go further on that. But the way you have to think about a website when someone's using a screen reader is that as we were talking about with the images and so forth, obviously when a screen reader goes over a website, it's going to out loud say what the content is for someone who's visually impaired. But then when we hit items like images, a screen reader can't say what an image is. It it could say, you know, what we're talking about with the alt tag. So that's why it's super important that images have alt tags is because the way that a visually impaired person sees a website is they hear it. And that's what the whole purpose of the screen reader is, is it goes through everything. It will go through your content. Content's very easy for a screen reader to say out loud what the content is because it's reading it out loud. But then when it hits images and maybe a video because alt tags don't apply to just images. It also may apply to a YouTube video that you have, or, you know, when, when it goes over the YouTube video, you can add an alt text to say what the video is about or a background video. Many law firms are now using background videos on their website. So it can say the video here on, in your banner area is, um, you know, let's say for example, a personal injury victim who was hurt in a car accident or whatever it may be. So you really just have to think of the website for someone who is disabled is it's just going to be what the screen reader can say out loud. So I'll let you go further, Mike, but I just wanted to kind of interject there to um, to clear that up for people who don't know how screen readers work. Yeah, screen readers essentially turn your website into just a big, you know, giant blob of text that the software then can go through and interpret for you. So yes. we, we often think about accessibility as kind of boiling down the website elements into pieces that are very friendly for that software to read, which often boils down to some, some form of text. Um, and as you mentioned, Andrew, on videos. So it's very helpful to have transcripts provided of every video you you provide on your website so that someone can easily consume it that way. Or you can also have captions added to, say, your YouTube content. Those are two, you know, really nice ways to make your videos accessible. Yeah. There's a also a big picture uh, in terms of the, the visuals as well, uh, color contrast. So this isn't such some, so much something that our clients make decisions on, but when we're designing in, in tandem with our clients, there are color decisions that are made. And sometimes the colors can, uh, well, not clash, but also, but not clash enough in terms of like, they don't have enough contrast to make text readable on top of backgrounds. And this is something we see all the time, you know, not so much on paper street sites, because we're, you know, we're doing a better job with that. But if you browse the web, 
you'll find many instances where um, design decisions were made more so in favor of visual appeal or maybe just, you know, kind of looking trendy, um, but it's not so much in terms of readability. And you might struggle, even if you have fairly normal eyesight, to, to read content. But if you're someone with, with uh, you know, a visual impairment, this content can be, can be totally inaccessible to you. So color contrast is, uh, you know, something our design team is, is well-versed in, but uh, it, it is a really big contributor to every piece of the, the, the website experience. Yeah, absolutely. And to add on to that, like we were talking about with video and podcasts and so forth, um, you know, it's not just people who are visually impaired. It could be people who are hearing impaired. So they might be watching a video and they can't hear the audio on it. And so as Mike was saying, having a transcript of your videos or podcasts is a great idea because they can then uh, be able to digest that content as well. So, you know, we talk a lot about, or so far we've talked a lot about people with vision impairment, but it's really also hearing. It could be people who have, um, you know, other forms of physical disabilities where they might not be able to just interact with the website the way that um, a, another user may be able to. Yeah, and another example that actually our clients do have some control over is when you're when you're producing content, you want to stay away from um, justified text. Now, you might not think much about that. It kind of like makes the text centered in a way, and so it's, it's even on both sides, the left and the right. But what happens in the process of making it so that you're you're perfectly even on the sides is that you get these weird spacing differences between the words in the body paragraph. And for people with with certain reading impairments, um, those gaps can be very disruptive. So in general, like across all of our websites, we try to avoid um, justified text. So, you know, just breaking down all these little examples, things you might not have considered, but um, that's another one for you. Um, yeah, just stay away from justified text. That's interesting, Mike. And yeah, getting back to the transcripts too, what I wanted to jump in with is, you know, we're talking about this as in compliance with the ADA. And of course, that's the main goal is to help people with disabilities and adhere to the law. But it's interesting because providing transcripts can help in other ways as well. For example, someone who may not be able to speak the language of whatever is the video on your website, if you provide that video transcript of the text, some, they can feed it into a translator app or even just something as easy as Google Translate. So by doing something as simple as just making your website more usable in multiple ways, you could reach a bigger audience. So by having your, your transcript of a video podcast, if somebody does not speak your language, they can still use that to translate it as well. So it, it's just, it's interesting how some a law that can be beneficial in one end can also actually make your website better for a larger population that may not have even been in consideration at the time. Absolutely. And, and that's a point we really should hit on too, is that um, when you make your website more accessible, you're, you're kind of improving the whole experience for, for a wide range of people, um, not just people that may be impaired in, in different ways. I don't know if many people have done this, but you can browse websites with a keyboard too. Um, if you press the tab key when you visit a website, you'll actually start clicking through the different links and interactive features on the website. And um, while it's not common that, that everyone does this, it can be helpful for, you know, everyday anyone who, who even who are comfortable with a, with a mouse. And so there are actually people that are disabled that can't use a mouse that rely a lot on the keyboard. And so a lot of what we do, too, is kind of enhance the website so that it can be used not only through a mouse, but also through a keyboard. And, and that pairs greatly with the screen reading software as well. Yeah. Do those work with mobile apps as well, Mike? So if someone were using, like, let's say, a notebook or, or an iPad, do, are there tricks to help with the readability as well? 
Well, yeah, there's screen reading uh, assistive software on those devices as well. Um, that that kind of goes through the same thing. It basically tabs through uh, each of the interactive features on the page and describes it, like Andrew said, it through through an audio audible you know, format. So that you know, and then they can then say you know click on that, or they can um, press enter key and and follow. Or on the mobile device, it might be like a certain button, like yes, that's the link I want. Tap on that. So exactly. So then this requires ADA compliance to not just the website, but where it presents itself on a phone or a tablet. So it's just a bigger picture overall. Exactly. And then so many people are using, you know, these mobile devices now. Um, all of our, our ADA principles that we follow apply on, on those devices as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the way that we code it for desktop, you know, that we've kind of been talking about now will apply, as Mike said, to mobile, tablet and any device that someone has this type of software set up. We've talked a lot about the mistakes to avoid, but are there any other compliance tips that people who may be designing their own website or not working with a firm like Paper Street that does these things, are there things to look out for that's an important compliance tip that's not necessarily a mistake, like something that people should do that they may not have thought of? Yeah, um, when you're producing content, this is something we haven't mentioned, but um, you know, we, we covered justified text, we covered alt tags on your on your images that you might add to your content, but you also you write headings in your content, right, to kind of break up the content, and you need to consider not just like how the heading looks in terms of its appearance or size, but also you want to kind of break your content down into a sort of hierarchy so that the larger headings, which would be like the heading level two, we call it, they, and then they go down from there. Um, the heading level two is like kind of a top level heading that you would use to break down a big chunk of content. And then you can drill down further within that heading level two into what's called a heading three or heading four from there. So think of your content as um, a big block of text that you then break up with headings with, you know, sections. And then the heading level two is what you want to use the most. And what this does is it kind of provides the screen reader with um, checkpoints within your content to sort of say, this is the main topic of this block of text, right? And then if you want to drill down further, it'll go to the H3 or the heading level three. Um, so that's that's a great tip for anyone producing content. And once again, it's funny because again, your goal is for all of this is accessibility and reaching out to people with disabilities. And yet the things that you're suggesting here can also help clients find your website to begin with. You know, I was on the SEO team for a while. And one of the things that we paid the most attention to on the content side was the headings. And these headings are looked at for Google as well. So when you have a properly crafted heading and they're used properly to divide up your content and formatted properly, not only are you getting the two benefit of following the law being accessible, you're actually going to increase your chances of being visible on Google because those headings signal, signal to Google what your pages are about and it'll help your business page or your law firm page rank higher. So it's just so interesting how things that are part of a law and seem like have one end goal can actually be beneficial on so many levels. Absolutely. Yeah, building a great website that's usable for everyone is beneficial in many, many ways, like you said, including SEO and really making sure that just everyone who visits your site can use it. It's, it's a win-win for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mike, I had seen some of the articles that we had written on Paper Street about these ADA compliance tips, and I saw something about using the fonts and things like that when you're writing your text that people may not have been aware of, but like, for example, bold, italics, and underlined, those aren't always a, a encouraged for, for ADA compliance. Is that correct? 
Um, they're okay, but there are there is some nuance to that. Um, so you know, you should feel free to use bold and and italics for that matter. Um, it was more so a comment on the HTML, which is kind of like you know the coding language that that structures the paragraphs. Um, the tags that denote you know this is bold text or this is uh, uh, italicized text is better interpreted by the screen reading software and. and certain forms. Uh, I'm not going to get into the HTML, but um, the underline is a special case in that whenever you underline text that is not a link, you're sort of, um, you're not fooling people, but you're sending the wrong, you're miscommunicating, right? Because the language of the web is very much uh, built around a link is an underlined, you know, piece of text that I click on and I go somewhere. And so if you are providing too much, I mean, really any underlined text in your content, it's a little bit misleading in the sense that some people may interpret that as a link. And this is another example of, you know, this is not just about people with impairments. This is just, we're speaking the language of the web. And therefore, you know, if it's underlined, it should be a link. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's just those things that, you know, it just makes your user experience better. And if you do something, as you say, like the underline, it just confuses people. And again, when you, especially if you're a law firm and your goal is to serve your potential clients, having things that'll confuse them will not only discourage them and they'll not receive the help that they need, but they just may go to another website that they understand better or one that's easier to use. So it's just another case of just, this is just so important to make sure that all of the rules are in place and that you're doing everything you can to make a high performing as well as a website that looks good because the looking good part will only get you so far. Totally agree. Now, let's say a law firm or a business is listening to our podcast, which we hope they are, and they say, how do I know if my site is ADA compliant? Are there some tools or tips or tricks that they could do at their own office or at their home to try to figure this out? Yeah. You know, the first thing you could do is, is press the tab key on your keyboard a few times. Um, sounds funny, but if you don't notice anything being focused, which is like, you'll see a little box drawn around it. That's a very quick sign that the website is probably not accessible because there's, there should be some element of, of uh, focus and being able to see what is the focused element as you tab through the page. So hit tab a few times on the website. If, if you don't have any focus indication, that's probably a red, you know, flashing light that your website is not accessible. And then we could talk about the tools. My favorite tool, what we use a lot for just like single page checks is called uh, Wave uh, or provided by WebAIM. That's the company. You can easily Google that for the Wave WebAIM tool. And what this does is it just scans the page really quickly uh, and identifies errors with ADA and also warnings with ADA. Uh, it flags all kinds of, you know, it's very technical sorts of things, but you can just as a rough gauge, um, kind of measure, you know, how accessible your website is with that tool. And it's free and it, and it works quickly. That tool is great. As Mike said, Wave is the pretty much the industry standard uh, for what everyone uses. Uh, even a lot of the scanning, uh, you know, you might see uh, companies advertising that they'll scan your website for ADA errors. Many times they're just basically connecting to Wave. And uh, as Mike said, it's webaim.org and you can put your website in there. I would note that they also have a great plugin for Google Chrome. If you're using Google Chrome, you can install the Wave tool. And with a click of a button, any website you're on, it will tell you all of the elements that are errors. And you really want to focus on the errors within um, Wave. So, yeah. And for those of us who are less tech-friendly, when you say WebAIM, how would you spell that? Um, well, to get to the actual wave tool, you'd go to wave dot 
W-E-B-A-I-M.org. And wave.webaim.org. Yep, exactly. And that is, uh, the parent company is WebAIM. And they do an excellent job. It's a completely free tool. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great, great resource to have for testing for ADA compliance. Now, let's say they use WebAIM or WAVE to, to find if there are errors. Is Are these errors often something that the website owner can fix themselves? Is there any reason to not take it on themselves? Could they essentially make it worse or, or can a person fix it themselves? Yeah, I mean, the, the unfortunately, the vast uh, majority of these sorts of ADA issues uh, can't be changed without having access to the code, the underlying uh, code that builds the website itself. So there were a few things we talked about um, that, that happened inside the, the body content of your, of your posts um, that you can improve on. Uh, alt text is one thing, removing underlines, not justifying text, some things we talked about. But when we're talking about like keyboard accessibility, uh, even changing color contrast across the website, these are very much issues that a developer has to get into the code and, and make you know wide changes to, to the website to accomplish. Yeah, and I would also note uh, many people are using software like Accessibility to basically install a widget that makes your site quote unquote ADA compliant. But really, what that's doing is just adding a very heavyweight automated tool to your website and it doesn't actually fix any of the the code that's not ADA compliant. It just adds basically an automated script to the site to try to make it ADA compliant. It's kind of like a shortcut that we're seeing a lot of people use to get around actually building an ADA compliant site because of course it's much easier to just install a plugin and be done with it. But the major caveats of using Accessibility or a service like that is your code and your website is not actually ADA compliant. Mm -hmm. uh, another huge caveat is how much this decreases your speed and your load time for SEO. So a script like this will greatly slow down your load times, which is extremely important for your Google page speed. So we highly recommend not using that plugin. And if you do want to use a plugin to make your website ADA accessible, let's say you're a business owner and don't perhaps want to have a developer fix it, um, just be really aware that your SEO rankings could definitely take a hit because the website's going to be loading much slower and it's not true ADA accessibility. And then it just boils down to if, if your website's slower, you're going to lose users because no nobody has the time to do that, especially if you're multitasking, you're at work trying to contact the lawyer quickly, or you have a minute between picking up the kids. If your website's taking a long time, it's going to just be negative experience all around. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew mentioned something very useful there, which is that there are these kind of like, you know, patch it in sort of fixes, but they're not genuine fixes because the underlying code is not changing. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to take shots at, the, at these tools because ultimately they probably do provide some bells and whistles to technically improve your ADA compliance. But it's better to have, you know, the actual website itself pointing it truly in, in the point of accessibility. So, yeah, I agree with you. Well, I hope we've done a good job of helping the public understand ADA compliance. Admittedly, I didn't know everything that you both talked about today. So I learned a lot and I hope our audiences did too. Um, and like I said, ADA compliance is such an important task. We want to help businesses and law firms make 
the disabled population able to view their site and use it properly, not just for the law, but just to be truly helpful and a better experience for everyone. So I thank you, Andrew, and I thank you, Mike, for joining me today. Um, And I hope our listeners learn just as much as I did. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next time, Paper Street listeners. Bye-bye.